Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We are speaking on June 27th, 2023. My guest here on the program today is New York City Comptroller Brad Lander, a Brooklyn Democrat now in his second year in the citywide position of City Comptroller, which is the city's chief financial officer with a lot of responsibilities around the fiscal health of the city, auditing city agencies, reviewing contracts, providing oversight, uh, trying to influence the city's fiscal decisions, acting as a fiduciary to the city's five public pension funds that are worth well over $200 billion and a variety of other responsibilities of the city controller. We're speaking here with Comptroller Lander just a few days before the start of the new New York City fiscal year, which begins July 1st. And we're checking in with Comptroller Lander about some of his top priorities that he wants to see in this new city budget that is being negotiated by Mayor Eric Adams and the New York City Council. The Comptroller does not have a formal role in that process other than providing insights and analysis and guidance, uh, but does not have a vote, is not really central to those final negotiations, but it can, of course, make his or her voice heard about what they think is important. So we're checking in with Comptroller Lander about what he's watching for in this budget deal, some of his top priorities, some of the things he's warning around, and his take on a number of things here as the city budget comes down to these final days. It's due by the July 1 start to the new city fiscal year. More on that in a moment and a little more introduction before I bring on Comptroller Lander for this conversation. But I do want to just quickly note uh, the day before we're speaking here on Monday, June 26th, Citizens Union Foundation announced that it was going to be pausing publication of Gotham Gazette effective July 1st. So I and uh, the rest of our editorial team will be departing at the end of this week, at the end of this month, and looking uh, on to our next opportunities. I've been at Gotham Gazette for more than nine years and really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to what's next, but really appreciate all the time I've had at Gotham Gazette and thankful to Citizens Union Foundation and the many people on the Gotham Gazette team over time that I've worked with, and of course, very much to our readers and now to our listeners here of the podcast. I do plan to continue the podcast on my own, so please make sure you're subscribed to Max Politics wherever you get podcasts. I have some uh, guests lined up for the summer, and we'll be continuing to have these in-depth conversations about New York politics and government and public policy, so stay tuned for more of that. I'll be doing that and some other things as I figure out uh, my next steps, Uh, but thank you for listening. Thank you for reading Gotham Gazette. I appreciate it, and please do continue to listen to the podcast here as we have future episodes. And then also Citizens Union Foundation says that it plans to relaunch Gotham Gazette uh, after a temporary pause. So please look for whatever that next iteration of Gotham Gazette is and continue to read Gotham Gazette, which has been uh, a force and a presence of substantive journalism in New York for well beyond the nine plus years I've been here as executive editor. So um, there's there's 20 plus years of history there that hopefully they will uh, resume in uh, in short in a short time. So look for that as well. All right. Today we are speaking with New York City Comptroller Brad Lander, the city's chief financial officer, uh, about his sort of top priorities, things he's looking for as this new city budget is 
agreed upon by Mayor Adams and the city council. They're supposed to have a budget plan in place by the July 1st start of the new city fiscal year. We will see if they're on time or maybe a little bit late. In conjunction with this conversation with Comptroller Lander, and don't go anywhere yet, but uh, you should also check out, if you didn't listen to it, a couple of weeks ago I had on the show New York City Council member Justin Brannon, a Brooklyn Democrat who chairs the council's finance committee. He's very involved in city budget negotiations. He's chaired multiple rounds of hearings on the city budget this year and on the mayor's budget proposals, talking with city commissioners, talking with the budget director for Mayor Adams, Jacques Jiha. And I had a really good in-depth conversation with council member Brandon a couple weeks ago. So if you're very interested in the city budget, along with this conversation with Comptroller Lander, do check out that one with uh, council member Brandon from earlier this month. In addition to that, also in this final week of June here, I have another episode coming out with Westchester County Executive George Latimer talking about the suburb just to the north of the city, its relationship with the city, what's going on in Westchester, uh, some of the things related to a topic we've talked a lot on this show about, uh, housing and Governor Hochul's housing compact plan and how uh, County Executive Latimer and Westchester reacted to that and what's the path forward uh, on housing in the suburbs, especially Westchester. And also, speaking of the suburbs, uh, how County Executive Latimer feels about being lumped in with the other suburbs. He has some very interesting thoughts around the differences between Westchester and other suburbs, especially those on Long Island. So check that conversation out as well. Well, and we've had other great recent guests. You can find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. And we also have, of course, a lot of great recent reporting at GothamGazette.com. So check that out as well. Okay. New York City Comptroller Brad Lander is, is going to be with me in just a moment. Again, just to set the stage for this conversation, Mayor Adams and the city council are negotiating what's going to be a roughly $110 billion budget for next city fiscal year. They are negotiating a lot of the final details. That budget has impacted by, of course, the many, many tens of billions of dollars that are sort of just ongoing expenses, running city government in a number of ways, city schools, sanitation, parks, and all that stuff. A lot of baseline expenses, much of it tied up, of course, in the personnel that provide those services uh, and a lot of that. But then there's always a variety of things that are up for negotiation, depending on the mayor's priorities, depending on the city's fiscal condition, depending on the city council's priorities, crises that pop up. Uh, so a lot of what's happening in these this city budget process has related to uh, the challenges around expenses related to services for the uh, arrival of tens of thousands of asylum seekers. Uh, there are new added expenses, many billions of dollars over the course of a four-year uh, financial plan related to new labor contracts that the Adams administration has been settling with the municipal labor unions. Those very much need to be settled, but they do add costs. Uh, those are a couple of the big pieces of additional costs and expenses that need to be accounted for here in this next budget. And then there's a whole host of other things where the mayor has some savings plans that he's instituted, some cuts to certain programs and agencies and entities that he has either already made in the last update to the current fiscal year uh, spending plan or he's proposing for next fiscal year. As Councilmember Brandon told me on that episode of the podcast, 
one of the city council's top priorities is actually a restoration of some of the cuts that were either already implemented in the current fiscal year, so working that into this next budget, and then also undoing and restoring some of the cuts that the mayor has outlined in his budget proposals for next fiscal year. So there's a lot going on there that relates to all sorts of things like uh, CUNY, community colleges, and and a variety of of programs that the mayor has outlined, in some cases, some relatively modest cuts to. One really important part of this bigger picture, which I got into a lot with Councilmember Brandon, is the city is budgeting for well over 20,000 vacant personnel positions. And so uh, one of the biggest questions around city government right now, yes, they need to settle on a budget and there's a lot of specific issues at play there and funding streams and programs and whether they're going to expand the city's 3K program or, or cut it back. There's a lot of that, but there's also just much more of a sort of keep that funding in place for the personnel vacancies, but there's much more of a management question about getting those vacancies filled and how do you best do that. And then also making sure as part of that, that you're not losing so many city employees that even as you hire, you're not really able to keep up with attrition. So that's a a huge piece of the conversation around city government that is almost not really exactly part of the city budget discussion. And as I said, Councilmember Brandon and I got into that a lot. All right. City Controller Brad Lander, ahead of this conversation, I asked him and his office for a list of, you know, some of the top things that they are watching for, that they're advocating around. And so we got into a a few of those. Some of those things, just so you hear a few of them ahead of time, they're watching for how the city's budgeting around some of the use of federal COVID aid that was used for certain programs, including some ongoing programs. The type of aid that wasn't exactly meant for that, but Mayor Bill de Blasio and the city council at the time used it to budget for ongoing programs. And there's what's called some fiscal cliffs around some of that stuff. There's questions around the size of the out-year budget gaps. The next fiscal year budget does not seem to be that huge of a challenge to balance. But then the question is for the years after that, looking at some of those budget gaps and some questions around that. Funding for asylum seeker services, some of the uh, specific cuts to programs and services that the mayor has made that I mentioned or is proposing, and a whole bunch of other things. So that's just a few of the things that's on the controller's list, and we get into a lot of that here in this conversation. Okay, so. New York City Controller Brad Lander is with me to discuss the ins and outs of the city budget in these final days of negotiations between the mayor and the city council and other factors on the field, like the city controller influencing the negotiations and the process. Controller Lander, thanks for joining me again here on the show. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, and it's really especially good uh, to be with you, Ben. This this program and, and your work is invaluable to New York City and uh, and it's great to be with you. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. So we're in crunch time here. Uh, a budget is supposed to be in by the July 1st start of the fiscal year, as I mentioned in the introduction. There's been a little bit of question for a number of reasons, including the fact that we're talking here on primary election day when many city council members have uh, primaries that they're running in that the budget could be a little bit late past the start of the fiscal year. There's the July 4th holiday coming. People probably have travel plans. 
there's a lot of reasons for the council and the mayor to get this done by the start of the new fiscal year. But from where you sit right now, what's your sense of what the timing might be on this? And do you have any significant concerns if it goes a day or two or three into the new fiscal year? So let me first say that it's important that they achieve an on-time budget. Uh, New York City, unlike New York State, uh, councils and mayors, even when they disagreed pretty strongly, have achieved an on-time budget. You know, uh, the last time there was a mayoral veto and override, which it looks like we're facing on city peps, was 10 years ago this year in 2013, when the council that I was in passed and overrode the mayor's veto on the Community Safety Act. Uh, that first vote took place at the same meeting, the same stated where we passed an on-time budget. So, uh, and we did not, we had some tough budgets during those years in the wake of the fiscal crisis, but even when the council and mayors passed have disagreed, they have gotten through it and achieved an on-time budget. And that is important. We just got a ratings upgrade from Fitch. And uh, that's in part because after the financial crisis, the city adopted a set of good budget practices for your budget planning, balanced budget budgets and on-time budgets. And we should not become like the state where it seems like that deadline is flexible uh, or optional. So I really strongly believe that the the mayor and the council should reach a deal by Friday. They do still have time to do it, uh, even though there's serious issues at play. From just a straight financial point of view, they're not that far apart they can achieve an agreement by this Friday. We should go through what the issues are because they're real challenges, but they can get it done. And I I strongly hope they do. And we'll get into a bunch of those specifics in the, in the time we have together in just a minute. Sticking sort of at 30,000 feet for a minute, big view. Um, what is, how do you sort of assess the discussion around overall saving, spending, the sort of, city's fiscal health spending has just been skyrocketing over the last several years, buoyed by uh, lots of increased tax revenue, buoyed by lots of federal aid. Um, but the, it's raising some flags in terms of how fast spending the city spending has been increasing. This budget's going to come in somewhere around $110 billion, maybe, maybe a couple less than that. But a huge amount of spending and, and up significantly over the last few years, but there's lots of revenue to back it up, at least for now. How do you sort of assess big picture, the city's spending, savings, and sort of the fiscal health of city government uh, as we sit here a few days before this budget's due? Because it's not just a budget for this next fiscal year, but it's a sort of a spending plan for the for the coming fiscal years as well. That's right. This year's budget for, you know, uh, ending at fiscal year 23, when we're going to have a healthy surplus because revenues have come in far ahead of plan and some expenditures uh, under, uh, there'll be a healthy surplus for fiscal year 23, which will help balance fiscal year 24. Um, and they shouldn't have too much trouble doing that. The numbers for 23 and 24 are good. But beyond that, they're widening out your budget gaps. And I know that fiscal monitors like me are always saying there's fiscal out your budget gaps. And of course, we they get balanced, but you can't be cavalier about it. That reflects uh, the drop off of federal COVID aid, which was a you know significant reason and a good one. We we're so lucky that the federal government gave the city and, and other cities and states a lot of money to meet needs during the pandemic. Uh, the federal government also did a set of things that boosted incomes, and that led to higher than expected income taxes. 
Um, and, um, and the result has been a lot of revenue that did, and a lot of new need for expenditures, right? We spent a lot of money on, on COVID relief. And then we did a set of things like, you know, summer rising is a great example. We decided during the pandemic that it was critical to give every kid who wanted it the opportunity to go to a summer rising program, you know, it's kind of school camp program during the summer. And that's great. And once you do that, you're like, we should always do that. But the aid is one time. Or it's not one time, it's over, you know, it's been over four years, but it has an end date. Um, and then you have to make some hard choices because we don't have enough money in the budget to have universal 3K and universal summer rising and meet the needs of all kids with special education requirements and reduce class sizes without coming up with more revenue from somewhere. And we haven't yet had a really thoughtful reckoning on that question. And that is really important to do. Um, and I think part of the challenge of the way our budget process works is that we don't have a savings program that looks thoughtfully out over the four years of the plan. Generally, first, it's optional. It shouldn't be optional to do a peg. There should be a savings program that's built into the budgeting process, just like every year. And there should be, that's why we think rainy day deposits should be by formula. And we proposed a formula last year. Um, and why you should look at long-term savings. So often the majority of savings in a city budget just come from whatever vacancies you happen to have that year. Hey, lo and behold, we had a bunch of city vacancies and good news, we saved the money. But those vacancies didn't tell you what services you need and don't need. Honestly, what they tell you is where you had a hard time hiring. So right now, one example I give is where I have a hard time hiring in cybersecurity because uh, private sector pays better and lets you work fully remotely. And so we've lost, we've got huge huge vacancies at the city's cybersecurity. But that doesn't mean we don't, we, you know, and then they cut some of those vacancies and said we have savings. But that doesn't mean we're achieving safety in the data that's ever more important. So you do want to thoughtfully use attrition over the course of the plan because some of the programs you would like to cut so you could do other things you need are very long-time programs. And you say, let's phase that out as people leave those positions. But you can't do that right now. This year for the PEG program, the mayor only gave agencies two weeks to give their PEG letter. It needs to be part of every plan and you need to be evaluated on your program over the four years of the plan so you can actually use attrition as a way of saying over time, let's have less of headcount here so we can grow new programs that we need or achieve savings over there. And the process we have isn't doing that well enough. It leads to short-sighted cuts like we're you know fighting about this year to libraries and CUNY and restorative programs at Rikers, which are just in the tens of millions. They are not going to balance the your budget gaps. Um, and they're also pennywise and, and pound foolish. They, in many cases, do more harm than good. So I would like to see, you know, some longer term thinking than we have because we really do have long term challenges, even though I believe they will get to a balanced budget that addresses some of the cuts by Friday. Now, that's going to happen, you know, right around the start of the fiscal year. Again, maybe slightly late, but but nobody expected to expects it to be particularly late. Um, and and that that's going to happen. But in some senses, as you're getting at, potentially a little bit of just you know sort of looking at this next fiscal year and getting to a deal and not necessarily dealing with some of those longer term trends. So. The mayor has has warned about this a little bit and you've warned about this a little bit and others have. But 
this combination that is obviously tied together of the end of the use of the COVID uh, relief and, and stimulus funds, these pretty large out-year budget gaps, um, do people need to understand that we are potentially in for some a, a real reckoning here at some point in the next fiscal year or so after this after this deal comes together for next fiscal year, the following or in the range of this financial plan, is the city probably in for a real reckoning because the again, the the, the city budget before COVID was, you know, under a hundred billion dollars, 96, 97, you know, billion in those final budgets before COVID. And now we're talking about $110 billion. And some something's going to have to give. I know you have a plan for uh, additional revenue. There's state legislators who want to raise taxes for for more revenue, uh, raise taxes on the highest highest earners. Um, but but are we approaching the time that there's going to be a much more pointed, challenging discussion here in the city about spending and revenue and and the city's fiscal picture? Uh, so just level setting, you know, we project the out year budget gaps to grow to over $10 billion, which is 9.6% of the projected budget by fiscal year 2027. So that's the fourth year of the plan. Um, now, look, $10 billion is a lot of money. Uh 9.6% uh, of the budget is is a sizable gap. That's not, you know, 30% of your of your budget. So what we're talking about is that diligence is required. I, I don't we're, I don't believe we've got a doom loop problem. You know, we did an assessment of commercial uh, property tax values. Uh, taxes have been really strong and above plan. And I'm not saying that I can guarantee you that will continue. But what I can say is is unlike what we worried about during the pandemic, New York's uh, economic strength as a generator of value in the metropolitan regional economy and the value of the city in relationship to the region remains strong. And we want to be thoughtful about what will keep it that way, because if we don't address housing affordability, if we don't strengthen and preserve transit, if we don't keep the schools places where people uh, want to send their kids, then we'll have problems. We Those things cost money, and we've got to make those investments. Uh, but yes, you can't, you know, you've got to address a, a growing budget gaps um, and you want to be able to invest in new things. So that means one, you have to find areas of savings um, and you need to do it diligently. Um, and then you can't have everything you'd like to have. And let's just go back to education for a minute. Uh, how I wish we could have, you know, universal pre-K and 3K and more early childhood education for two-year-olds as well. We know they need it and free summer program for every student who wants it and uh, better education for kids with special needs, many of whom are not getting the services that they're legally uh, entitled to and smaller class size. Like that would be great. Um, all of that adds up to a lot of money and we don't currently have enough money in the budget to do all of those things. So you have to have uh, attention. Now I'll give one example there of a place I believe we can spend much smarter and that's around special education services, which have grown dramatically. And we actually are working on a report to look at this because a lot of those are court ordered 
and people get those privately in part because we don't have a good set of contracted providers to provide them with good oversight and at a reasonable cost. And so it's grown by hundreds of millions of dollars. And honestly, we should take steps uh, to rein in costs. That's a place where we can rein in cost while providing better services if we have stronger oversight. But we are not really focused on on doing that right now. Um, so yes, like we, we are gonna have to reckon with some of, uh, some of these challenges. Absolutely. You're getting at something that I wanted to ask you about as someone who is sort of, a uh, a, a bigger government, uh, progressive, uh, you, you can characterize it differently if you like, but, um, there's people, I think most vocally assembly member Ron Kim from Queens, uh, and others in New York who, are critical of some of, you know, sort of what he calls and, and others call the sort of nonprofit industrial complex, that there's way too many nonprofits and the city contracts way too many dollars with them and should build more public capacity to do that. It sounds like, you know, you reminded me of that with what you said. Is that something when we talk about some of this longer term planning and structural restructuring and rethinking things, is that something that you think would be both uh, helpful to improve services and also financially prudent for the city would be to really reevaluate how much is being contracted out and say, what can we do with our municipal capacity, even if it means growing that capacity, but it could potentially save money that's not going out in contracts. I, I half agree with Ron, but on this only half, I have a lot of admiration for him and he is right, maybe two thirds. He's right about two things, but I think wrong about a third. He's right that we need stronger just state capacity to deliver the goods. Let's just take affordable housing. Once, you know, not so long ago, New York City had a first in class affordable housing production system. That's what I came up in before I was in politics. And we were the envy of the country in the ability of HPD to underwrite deals and move them along quickly. And we're we don't have that right now. Some of that is attrition during the pandemic and some of that is who just let that muscle wither and it must be restrengthened. And that has to be done by city government because they're deciding what subsidies to give out and who get the subsidies. You can't outsource that to a nonprofit or a bank. That needs to be done. And we need strong oversight where nonprofit human service providers provide services. Um, and I'll give an example. The charter assigns my office the responsibility to audit every city agency once every four years. And I often get calls to do more auditing of contractors, which I would love to do. But I'm assigned by the charter to audit every city agency once every four years. And that's about the capacity of the auditing team I have. So if we want more oversight capacity of contracts, not only nonprofit contracts, you know, we've got for-profit contractors, construction contractors. I do think as the growth of the contracts budget has grown, we need more outcomes focused oversight. But I think there are a lot of areas where that service delivery mechanism is good. And I'll give you one where I, I look, let's go back to 3K and pre-K. I think the model there of mixed, uh, a mixed model, which allows some of that to be done in schools, but some done by these wonderful community-based providers in your neighborhood um, is actually pretty great. And I talk to people who are satisfied with their 3K in a school where it works and who are, love their sweet neighborhood, you know, community-based 
some cases nonprofit, in some cases those are for profits, but disproportionately owned by women and people of color. It's like an opportunity for business and wealth building of New Yorkers um, with good, strong oversight and outcomes. Um, and yeah, I do come out of, you know, in the affordable housing world, you need city employees at HPD overseeing the deals, but it's great to have nonprofit community development organizations who are not only identifying sites and building support for affordable housing. We never would have done the Gowanus rezoning if the Fifth Avenue committee didn't exist. I'm just telling you now, like community support was built through community development and organizing and having that capacity on the ground is worth government partnership and, and paying for. Um, I want to get through a few of these other specifics. Of course, I went very, very broad <laughs> and global there with that question, especially. But as I mentioned in the introduction, I asked you and your office for sort of the top things that you're most focused on as this city budget is being negotiated. We've already touched on a few of those. Um, but let's come to this challenge that the mayor has been very focused on, of course, and, and has been a huge strain on the city, which is the challenge of providing services for tens and tens and thousands of asylum seekers. As you look at this city budget, what are you most focused on with those uh, around those costs for asylum seeker services? This has been, um, you know, both a logistical challenge and a funding strain and, you know, all sorts of issues around lobbying the state government for funding, the federal government for funding, some of which has come, uh, the federal government continuing to, to disappoint by most uh, assessments. Um, but what are you looking at in this budget? Because the, the city has to decide how much to plug into this budget in terms of what may or may not be coming from those other sources like the federal and state governments. What are you watching here on the asylum seeker costs? So this is a very significant issue in the budget. The, the mayor projected the executive budget $2.9 billion in the FY24 budget. And we think that's actually probably a small uh, undercount. We think it'll be over $3 billion that New York City spends next year on shelter for asylum seekers. Um, the state's going to put in $500 million, So that's better than nothing, but still that's not a third of 3 billion. 1 billion would be a third of 3 billion. Um, and we're getting a pittance from the federal government. And that, as my grandmother would say, is a Shonda. Um, one thing I think it's important to note for people is what's different is not that more immigrants are coming to New York City. That's a longstanding tradition. What's different is they're presenting themselves under the city's right to shelter. And that had never happened before for a range of reasons. Mostly people just stayed in the shadows and found basements. And uh, because of the shift from the Trump to Biden uh, more people uh, check in with ICE and then they're registered with a public system and then they discover New York City uh, has a right to shelter. And so that is what is driving those costs in a way that we never experienced before. As you say, a big logistical challenge. Um, and I actually mostly give City Hall credit finding space to house now nearly 50,000 uh, asylum seekers for all the sometimes kvetching has still been, uh, you know, a, a thing that I think New Yorkers can be proud of that our city did that logistically. It has a real cost. We need more from the feds and the state. One thing about the state, the mayor is in court trying to overturn the right to shelter. Seems obvious to me what we should be doing is saying if the right to shelter is found in the New York state constitution, then it is an obligation of every county in New York state. It can't just be that it's in the state constitution, but we shoulder the entire thing it must apply to the other 57 counties. And if it did, then they would be sharing the logistical burden and then the state would also 
get involved and would be demanding money from Washington with us and providing much more state resources to do it. So I really think the mayor is missing there. I don't think he's going to get the right to shelter overturned, but is missing the opportunity to use a legal argument to get the state and all the other counties legally on board. So I really, you know, that's not a budget issue, but I really think it's a, um, a mistake. And then the thing I've been pushing the most on the budget is just putting some money in to help people get the legal services they need to file their asylum applications so that six months later they could get work authorization. And then many of them will get jobs and move out of shelter on their own and will ultimately save hundreds of millions of dollars back. But right now there was a recent survey, Make the Road did, that showed basically 95% of asylum seekers want to file for asylum, but they have not gotten any legal assistance and they don't know where or when or how to do it. Um, previously, New York City didn't offer that because we didn't ask people in the shelter system about their immigration status. And previously, that made sense. But we needed much earlier to have added that capacity to say to someone, would you like help filing your asylum application? Because even if it takes 10 years to get your hearing, six months after filing it, you can get work authorization. Um, and that, you know, we want to see $70 million in the budget that we think we would, would save hundreds of millions if we do it. You have been advocating for that and also working with uh, city council members, including your successor, Council Member Shahana Hanif, who chairs the Immigration Committee, um, to, to push for that $70 million. The mayor did around the time of some of uh, you, you all becoming a little more vocal on that and the Make the Road report right around that time also announced uh, an effort to sort of expand some of those legal services, um, but trying to do so with uh, pro bono, I, I believe, services uh, more and, and what the city already has than perhaps adding that funding in the city budget. That that gets me to just this sort of quick follow up in terms of if that's one thing among quite a few others here that you're focused on in this, but how are you sort of uh, navigating your advocacy for getting what you think is best into the city budget? What are the channels that you use as city controller to do that in these final weeks final days here. You're obviously a former city council member. You've had a bit of a tense relationship with the mayor, especially lately, and, and some of it around the question of, of you know who's doing the right advocacy around the asylum seeker costs and getting funding. How do you advocate for what you think is best to get into the city budget? What channels are you using to do that? Yeah, I mean, the last few days are between the council and the mayor, and that is as it should be. Like we've, we, you know, our job is to put a lot of information out. We released a ton of reports through this budget cycle on NYPD overtime, uh, on revenue raising ideas, on cost savings ideas, and on things like asylum seeker legal services. Um, in many of those cases, I did team up with the council member who chairs the relevant committee. So on asylum seeker legal, legal asylum seeker legal services, uh, working closely with with Shahana Hanif, who chairs the immigration committee. Um, but it's really trying to help put the information out there, be part of a kind of a coalition making the case. Now it's handed off. Like this is the time when the council members and the mayor reach the deal. And 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 I don't know, when I was a council member, I didn't you know expect the controller to come in at the end. Uh, I expected to get good information, be able to partner and then let the council and the mayor close the deal. Mm -hmm. We're just in our last few minutes here. So let's touch on a couple other things. There are these variety of of cuts to services, yeah. uh, you've mentioned a few of them, you know, there 
it's a complicated discussion. I got into this with the city council finance chair, Justin Brandon on the show. So if folks haven't listened to that one, you should give it a listen. A few weeks ago, we did a sort of a reset on the, on the council's priorities and approach to the budget after he had chaired a, his, the latest round of budget hearings in the council. And, you know, some of this is, and, and you've got this a little bit that some of the, you know, sort of quote unquote cuts uh, are not really cuts to services. They are spending re-estimates. A lot of it is is that the city has all these budgeted personnel vacancies and they're not being filled, or there's projections that they won't be filled, or they trimmed some of the budgeted vacancies off the count. Um, and there's a minimal amount that's really direct services that that would be impacted or are forecasted to be impacted. So say a little bit about um sort of the focus on those things and what are two or three of the specifics that you're most focused on trying to see those, you know, cuts not happen. Yeah. There are a number of cuts, you know, that are just in the tens of millions of dollars. So they're not going to balance the big out year budget caps, but make a big difference on the ground that can and should be restored. Um, I'll start with CUNY. Uh, you know, CUNY saw big cuts during the pandemic, some of them from enrollment decline, but the executive budget includes another $41 million of cuts over the plan. Um, and that really will hit CUNY. They're cash strapped and uh, we don't need to be cutting CUNY right now. It is an engine of opportunity for like, there's no future for a more thriving, inclusive New York City that doesn't, but you can push CUNY to spend that money in some other ways, say, do a little less of this program, a little more of that one, get the mayor involved, fine, but cutting CUNY unwise and unnecessary. Um, the library cuts, obviously, you know, uh, because the libraries have a lot of people who use them. And so they tell those folks, if you don't want this, speak up. But that speaks to how valuable the libraries are. And yes, if you cut the libraries, mostly what they are going to do is cut hours and services. And that is we're not in a fiscal crisis where we need to be closing the libraries on the weekend. We've seen the consequences of doing that. Um, the proposed cuts of services to help folks at Rikers succeed in coming out. I mean, that's just a core public safety mistake. If you don't help people uh, deal with drug addiction, uh, have get jobs, get housing, and then you release them to await trial. And they've said, we need those programs. Uh, that is, uh, is a, a mistake. So, so those are just three examples. Oh, there's this great promise NYC program that was created last year. And, um, and the administration for children's services did a great job after the council advocated and enrolled 600 kids in that program. So those are a few examples, uh, childcare for kids without, you know, who are, who are undocumented. Thank you. Um, so those are examples of modest cuts, uh, that I really hope will be restored. Um, there are some bigger challenges. I'm a big believer in right to counsel, but that costs hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm a big believer in providing where we can um, the subsidies for folks to get out of the shelter system. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we'll have the fight. The council's gonna probably have the override fight. You know, those are bigger numbers um, and probably won't get resolved by Friday. So let me ask you a final question as you as you call for things that you'd like to see more investment in or avoiding cuts or restoration of cuts that went through in the mayor's last budget modification for the current fiscal year. That's something uh, finance chair Brandon said was a top council priority was actually restoring some of the the cuts that the mayor moved through. Um as you call for for you know some of these added spending, given this next fiscal year, given the numbers in front of you, is there 
uh, a risk that there won't be enough put into savings? Are you, you know, sure that some of these calls are responsible to call for more uh, funding for certain programs or to call for the restoration of certain cuts, et cetera? Is are you are you being careful enough? And is there a a spending and a is there a spending number? generally that you think this budget should come in at? And is there a savings number that you think should be part of, of the savings plan for this next fiscal year alone? Yeah. On savings, what I really continue to believe is that we need, the council needs to work with the administration and adopt a formula because negotiating it at the last minute just doesn't, it's not a smart way to do it. You know, if people who are successful savers put away a little bit every month, they have a formula that they use and they don't kind of wait till the end of the year um, this is really, really hard to do that way. You want to spend your Christmas money on Christmas gifts and not put it in the savings account. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, last year we had a whole bunch of excess non-property tax revenue. That's the formula that we've proposed. And that's why last year they had the biggest historic deposit ever. We're watching this year what those numbers come in at. And I got to see where the, where that number ends to see how it would fit the formula we proposed, um, and compare that to what the council does. What, what we've proposed would be automatic. So the council wouldn't essentially need to, to, it would wind up in the budget, but it wouldn't get negotiated at the end. Now, the things that I have proposed, because I really do care about this. And so I asked my budget team, what are the things that we can responsibly advocate for that don't open up new fiscal cliffs? And the things that I've said here, restoring the CUNY peg, restoring the library peg, restoring those programs at Rikers. And actually we can do the COLA for human service workers. Um, we believe that money can be found in the labor reserve already. Um, those are consistent with not creating bigger out year budget gaps. Um, but we are gonna have to then move quickly to creating, you know, to addressing those out year budget gaps. We've laid out some longer term ways of doing so that we think are critical. But yes, I, you know, I think you're right. The budget will come in at about $110 billion. Um, and uh, we can restore the areas uh, that I mentioned uh, without creating significant problems for the long term. That doesn't mean the long term problems aren't real and we should turn to addressing them quickly. That is New York City Comptroller Brad Lander previewing what he's focused on, some of what he's focused on as the New York City Council and Mayor Eric Adams are needing to finalize a new city budget for the fiscal year that begins July 1st. That's fiscal year 2024. Good to get an overview of some of the things you're focused on and watching. As I said in the introduction, we're going to try to catch up after there's a budget get your evaluation of it in July, and then talk about some of the broader work that your office is doing, because obviously uh, monitoring the city budget and doing this is a lot of it, but there's a lot more to it as well. So hopefully we're going to do a, a part two of this discussion sometime next month. But thanks for this time here today, Comptroller Brad Lander. Thank you so much, Ben. 